0: Good afternoon. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. My name is Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wissinger. And we are here each and every week to give you the very best in entertainment. And one of the ways we do that is by giving you the best in entertainment news. Cole, it it seems like it's been a bit of a slow week as far as news is concerned, right? Like, there's nothing... Big or awardsy that that came out that we need to talk about, right?
1: Nah, that that everyone else would be talking about? Nah, I
0: don't, okay. I don't think so. All right. Well, if if I'm missing something, you'll remind me later on the show. I'm sure. Right? I'll, I'll try
1: to think of it. Okay. While, while we're talking,
0: well, one thing that we probably ought to mention is, you know, there's a new James Bond movie that's coming out, and it's it's really weird because usually we see these James Bond movies coming out. November around Thanksgiving time, That's right? That's kind
1: of how they've established with Daniel Craig's Bond,
0: right? And I'm—it's probably due to a lot of the uh, onset injuries and and conflicts that they had with this latest one, which is why we're getting this one in uh, April. Yes. No time to die, right?
1: There's no time.
0: But the, like one of the, the notable, yeah, there is no time to, to die. die. I just don't have time for that, Cole. <laughs> I've got kids, I've got work. I I, I can't make it happen. Okay. Um but one of the notable things about this movie is that it is Daniel Craig's official last film as James Bond.
1: Did they make it official?
0: I believe so. Okay, good. And if they didn't, I mean, they're certainly pushing for that in speculative discussions because like us. Right, because one of the one of the conversations that's going on right now is can the next James Bond be a woman? Can the next <laughs> James Bond be somebody that's not white or not British? And I mean, when Daniel Craig was cast, could James
1: Bond be a blonde? Oh. Yeah.
0: Oh, shocking. Seems like we're having
1: more important conversations,
0: right? <laughs> yeah. And so the producers of the film have come out and said the uh, the next James Bond will not be a woman. However, the next James Bond could be somebody of color. Sure. So there's that. Um,
1: The caveat to that is that James Bond is James Bond. He's already a character. He's been established. We expect a certain thing – from a James Bond movie there can be cool women led action movies and she was the the producer that was making this announcement was encouraging that again oh, yeah. if you're the if you're the reporter that goes up and says to to the woman producer of James Bond could James Bond be a woman react like what did you ex- like you trapped her into that question and she answered it very very well like sure. no James Bond is James Bond but we should be supporting in this industry more women-led action movies like we've got Atomic Blonde a couple of years ago that, that seemed very like a Mad woman Max, James Fury Bond. Fury Road. Exactly. They're, they are out there and there should be more of those but not like under the James Bond right.
0: mantle. We're going to get whatever. Black Widow. There, there are plenty of opportunities for women to, to show out their action chops. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there can be more. You know, it's no secret that I'm a huge fan of a show called Better Call Saul. Yes. Right. It's like Breaking Bad. In fact, it's a it's a spin-off of Breaking Bad, except with fewer drugs and less violence. So good things. And the it actually establishes characters that you come to care about and love. And which, that you
1: don't feel dirty rooting for.
0: Right. You don't feel like you need to take a shower necessarily. Now having said that, it's it's such a weird show because you're rooting for these characters to succeed when ultimately you know where they're going to end up because as we all know Better Call Saul is a prequel and it talks about what where did this where did this sleazy lawyer Saul Goodman come from? Turns out he is just this guy, Jimmy McGill, who has always been in trouble and is trying to turn the tables on his life and you know, be a quality member of society and give back to society first, but also to impress his brother, who is a lawyer as well. And uh, just is constantly turning his nose up at his younger brother, who could do no good in his eyes.
1: Now, I love Better Call Saul uh, just as much as the next guy, if not as much as you. Uh, that's all well and good, but what's the news about Better Call Saul? The news is, is well,
0: the the premiere of Better Call Saul <laughs> season five is out. Uh, it's February twenty third. Okay. okay, so mark your calendar. So it's coming out. But the news is that it got renewed for a sixth and final season. And remind me
1: again, how many seasons uh, Breaking Bad had?
0: Well, Breaking Bad had five, but the fifth season was split in two. So basically six. And they've said all along with Better Call Saul that they never wanted to exceed the number of episodes that Breaking Bad had because it just seemed wrong. Right. And when all is said and done. Season six is going to have 13 episodes, which will put it one episode beyond what Breaking Bad did. So let's so count staying... El
1: Camino as a Breaking Bad episode. They're, and then... they're even. Oh, my goodness, Cole. Go.
0: Wow. Thank you. Thank you for that reminder. I'm here so, for the math. Right. But another couple of announcements to go along with that. In addition to all of the Breaking Bad favorites that are coming back for season five, like uh, Giancarlo Esposito, who was Gus Fring, and Jonathan Banks, who is Mike Ehrmantraut. Esposito, you
1: know. who's also had an appearance in another one of my favorite TV shows. The Mandalorian. Me- I wasn't going to oh, spoil it. Sorry, I wasn't, Cole. I mean, I wasn't going to spoil it for you because you're the one in this room Payback. that hasn't actually seen The Mandalorian Payback. yet. You love
0: to spoil things for me, Cole. That's true. Um, but anyway— There is also, it's been confirmed that Dean Norris, who was Hank, Ah. uh, Brian Cranston's brother-in-law. The DEA guy. He will be in two episodes in season five. It is confirmed. As well as uh, um, Steve Gomez, I think is the character's name, but I I can't think of the actor that portrays him offhand. But he will also be back. So some more fan favorites that will be returning. So now we're coming full circle. Right. I'm a little concerned, though, because I think we're starting to enter into some of that sleazy, drug-filled territory in this season. But I hope in my heart of hearts that they stick true to these characters that you love and care about and that they'll focus more on the drama and less on the violence and the drugs. Here's Hope and Cole.
1: Jeffrey's favorite program on television right now is Better Call Saul, but my favorite is, is a little show called Jeopardy. The best uh, boom, in Jeopardy boom, news, boom,
0: boom. ta-da! Can we find excuses to play that on a regular basis, please?
1: I did a couple weeks ago. Okay, um, good. And this week, especially in Jeopardy news, the greatest of all time tournament has come to an end, uh, maybe prematurely. Goat, right? Yeah, I think when Jeopardy starts using your uh, modern slang, it's when it's become officially dead. The kids, <laughs> the kids can't use goat anymore when. Adult-run social medias and Cole, Jeopardy and other things. Have kind you of started using it.
0: You haven't heard that. Just walking down the street, you haven't heard the young people saying, "Dude, your outfit is totally goat." No, really? Have maybe you... it's not. Maybe it's not uh, referring to clothing. Maybe it's like a really cool movie that you saw. It was the that goat. movie was so goat.
1: Well, no,
0: no, it's not a thing.
1: Sport things. Okay.
0: can be the goat. Anyway, I I interrupted.
1: No, it's okay. I just, I'm awed at your sort of out of touchness.
0: Well, you're just not you're just not goat like I am, Cole. (laughs) All right, so what happened on Jeopardy?
1: Greatest of all time. So to recap, last week they got the three all-time Jeopardiest people. Right, Ken Jennings is the all-time winner as far as has played the most games. Brad Mm -hmm. Rutter has. Uh, won the most money. And then James Holzhauer, the new kid on the block, has the most Jeopardy records, right? In his time, he was the most efficient Jeopardy player. And so these three guys with their three different styles and, and their three different ways of playing the game went up against each other for the first time ever. And they're kind of billing it as maybe the only time ever, but I hope not, and they will probably. This was if there this was got a, people if, interested in Jeopardy, right. and so there's no way it will be the only time right. ever. But it was so so fun. What they did is on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of last week, and then Tuesday of this week, they played back to back games of Jeopardy, so an hour long in prime time on ABC, and whoever won at the end of two games of Jeopardy got a little check mark next to their name, and the first contestant to three wins won as the greatest of all time and got a little trophy to go with it.
0: And a million dollars, right? And a million
1: bucks. I mean, yeah. There is to... that, Cole. <laughs> These guys have won a bit of money before. Sure. a million bucks was side to the bragging rights among their peers. Or maybe they just enjoy a million bucks. But the the cool and the lead of it all is that it only took four games for Ken Jennings, graduate of BYU, of which we are both graduates of as well. That's right. To win the great—he won three games, and it only took four. James Holtzauer took home either last Wednesday or last Thursday, but then Ken on Tuesday of this week won. He won his third game, and he is the greatest of all time for now. Cole,
0: I'm so glad that you lumped us in with Ken Jennings uh, because, yes— I think he
1: learned something that we didn't at BYU. Well, we're (laughs)
0: both—let me just say, let me remind you that uh, the three of us are Brigham Young University graduates— And between the three of us, we've won a million dollars.
1: And 70 some odd games of Jeopardy.
0: That's right. So I'm happy that we can share in that accomplishment. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. Was that about how you thought it would pan out? Oh, no, no, no. So Ken and Brad had gone
1: against each other in like the Battle of the Decades okay. and a few Tournament of Champion kind of shticks like this before they were on alongside an IBM Watson computer, and Brad <laughs> Rutter consistently got the better of Ken. Really? Until this tournament. And Brad had a real rough tournament. It's interesting to see how James's game affected the other two guys. He was a very aggressive better. He's a gambler for a living in Las Vegas.
0: Leave it up to the gambler to upset the odds. I mean,
1: he brought analytics. This is. Okay, I will I will step away for just one moment. But the last kind of thing is analytics have made their way into baseball and into football and, and how people go for two-point conversions or go for it on fourth down now. They've, it's made a way into basketball, how pretty much all the shots are just behind the three-point line because they're the most efficient or right down by the basket. And analytics have made their way into Jeopardy too, where if you are confident and you're smart, like all of these three fellows are, then you should be betting it all on every single daily double to maximize your potential winnings. I think that got into Brad's head because he got a lot of daily doubles, but he did not get them right. Oh no. A lot. And so he would he felt that pressure from the other two very smart contestants. He would bet it all and then he would lose it all on questions that really he probably should have known, but but I think he got inside his own head and it's a mental game Jeopardy is. Man, there's
0: so much at play here that I wouldn't have considered. Wow, look at you, Cole. And it was
1: fun and I spent, you know, 4 hours over the past couple weeks watching Jeopardy, Well,
0: I'm like glad I glad that you. Do, really. I'm glad that you had that time. I'm glad that I had some time in the theater last weekend to enjoy a film that is actually out on Amazon Prime today. Nice. And it's called Troop Zero. This is a film that I uh, got an advanced screener for, and I was excited to see it because not only did it have Oscar winners Viola Davis and Allison Janney in it, but it had my favorite comedian in it, an Emmy winner, Jim Gaffigan. And not only that, but it was an Amazon Studios film that was rated PG, which, like, never happens, right, Cole? That's true. So I rushed to see this, jumped at the opportunity to see it. Um, We made the decision, though, not to bring our children to this PG-rated film because watching the trailer, it looked like it was going to be a film that had some consistent, uh, mild language in it. And it did. Which is why we were so surprised when we got to the movie theater and there were hordes of little kids. People had brought their little kids with them. The marketing people were handing out uh, worksheets, word searches, talking points with parents for their kids. And, uh, yeah, I was really surprised. And uh, our assessment by watching the trailer was just about right. There was quite a bit of mild language throughout the film. There's actually a character whose name is Heck No. That's the watered down version of the character's name. Oh, And yeah, uh, so a lot of mild swearing. However, I think it goes along with the message that is at the heart of this film. Let me backtrack a little bit here and give you kind of the the basic plot synopsis. So McKenna Grace is the star and she really steals the show. Speaking of star, she plays this little girl named Christmas Flint who is a little girl that dreams of being in the stars. And in fact, uh there's an opportunity that that comes up that's given to the Birdie Scouts, this girl scout troop that is very uppity and very snobby and exclusive. Mm-hmm. And uh, the winners of this troop contest, they will get to put their voices on a record that will then be shot into orbit and will be heard in space. So this little girl who is such a fan and who is so knowledgeable of space, wants so badly for her voice to be heard in space. Part of the reason is her mother has passed away, and her father has has put in her put in her head this idea that you know. A lot of people believe different things about the afterlife, right, Cole? Yes. And one of the ideas that she really latches on to is that her mom is kind of absorbed into the stars. And so every time she looks up at the sky, she thinks of her mom. Very sweet, right? Mm-hmm. So she is not wanted, not surprisingly, in this this uh, exclusive group of birdie scouts because she's a little different. Her name is Christmas, after all, and her dad is actually a, a really decent guy who is this lawyer who refuses to take payment and he'll accept avocados as payment for his services, constantly bailing people out of prison, played by Jim Gaffigan. So she takes it upon herself to scrap together this ragtag team of, of misfits To uh, join the Birdie Scouts. And uh, Alice and Janney, who is the leader of this other exclusive troop, doesn't really want them there. And so she kind of sticks it to him by saying, well, there aren't any other troop numbers available. So you guys are going to be Troop Zero. There's the name. And, you know, says she's the type of character that is constantly saying, just kidding. And if you're somebody that is constantly saying, just kidding, you're actually showing your true colors and everything that you're you're saying in jest is not actually in jest, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Allison Janney has kind of made a career for herself playing these types of characters, right? Viola Davis uh, is this is is Jim Gaffigan's legal secretary who has not seen a paycheck in in months, <laughs> and she takes it upon herself to be the true mama. Well, hilarity ensues, but there are some really sweet messages at heart here. It's certainly not the most original idea. In fact, in an interview with Allison Janney, she described it as a bad news bears but for girls. And huh. a lot of the a lot of the people in the theater that I saw it at came in their uh, Girl Scout vests with all their merit badges, and, which hey, I thought was really It is cool. Girl
1: Scout cookie season right. also. Oh, I, gotta I didn't find even me think some about thin that Cole. Here, so, but it is.
0: Yeah. So what I really love about this film, Cole, is that you really need to learn to love everyone and just accept people, warts and all. We're all a little different. We're all weird. We've got our own eccentricities. And so when I when I mention the amount of mild language in this film, I think it in a way it kind of goes along with that message that, There are people that, you know, you may not be somebody that that swears up a storm, but there are people around you that might swear up a storm. Does that mean that they're bad people? No. Does that mean that you should shun them? Absolutely not. So whether you are, you know, a little boy that kind of dresses or acts like a girl, we need to be accepting. Or whether it is a girl that, you know, only has one eye, which I'm describing several members of the Troop Zero in here— and we can learn to love people that are different from ourselves. And I think that's so important. So it's there are a lot of talking points here, things that you need to share with your young children about being accepting and not bullying other people. My wife mentioned that the bullying in this film kind of takes the form of it's pretty overt, right? Mm-hmm. When in actuality, it probably looks more like it does in eighth grade where it's, oh. not, it's not what you say but what you don't say, yeah. right? So if you have an opportunity to talk to your kids about bullying, remind them that it's not just, you know, saying mean things, but it's not including somebody. It's by giving somebody a dirty look, by spreading rumors or sending out messages on social media that you probably, in today's day and age, you need to worry about. Yes. Loved it. See it on Amazon. uh, Prime, but just be warned that there's a lot of mild language, so keep that in mind when you're watching with younger viewers.
1: There you go. A beautiful, a nice entry into the January uh, pantheon of movies that are released. Today on the show, we do want to talk about, you know, some of the, the hidden gems that are out there, but also just... A lot of the schlock that we get around this time of the year, movies aren't always the greatest that end up released right about now. It's kind of a chance for us to take a step back and get caught up on all of the, you know, awards worthy movies that came out in December. And oh, yeah, actually, when we come back, Jeff, there's one more piece of news we need to talk about. Hmm. Uh, there were Oscar nominations. Oh, this right,
0: week. That's what we were forgetting. Let's, let's
1: do that when we come back on screen cleaning
0: I am Christmas Flint
1: human female I think you'd like me I think you'd want to be my friend Dad think I could be part alien
0: I uh, sure as heck hope not I don't worry about you Christmas
1: I can't I can't
0: so I'm hearing Randy Newman, but I'm wondering why you're playing this song, Cole. This is Oscar-nominated
1: Randy Newman with his song from Toy Story 4. Oh, he had a song in that, huh? He did. Interesting. I can't let you throw yourself away.
0: Well, that means a lot, Cole. Thank you. Oh, that, that's the name of the song. Okay, got it. Man, this guy is unstoppable with his constant... I guess maybe if he keeps making Pixar movies, he's going to keep getting nominated for Oscars, right?
1: It's true. He has a few nominations under his belt. But Randy Newman is not only nominated for that original song, but also for the soundtrack for Marriage Story. Really? Yeah. I mentioned whenever I saw Marriage Story that I saw Randy Newman's name crop up in the credits. He got nominated. And this is only the second time that the same composer has been nominated in the original song category and for the score category. Really? Can you guess who the other composer was?
0: Oh, it's got to be John Williams.
1: It's actually Randy Newman. Really? (laughs) It's the second time he's done it. Last time was back in 98 when uh, his song from Babe 2, Pig in the City, called That'll Do Pig, was nominated for best original song. And back then, the Oscars had two different kind of categories, Golden Globe style, where there was a score in a drama movie and then score in a comedy Really, whatever. He was nominated in both categories: Pleasantville's score in the drama category, and A Bug's Life's score in the comedy category. So he had
0: three nominations. He had three that nominations. Year. That's in huge,
1: and he has two this year. And I got all of that information from a wonderful Twitter guy that I follow around this time of the year at ben's oscar math
0: interesting oscars
1: for all of your weird oscars knowledge or oscars go-to or or if you want to make uh, better predictions than your friends when you go watch the oscars on oscars night follow at ben's oscar math he has all of the math to lead to uh, good predictions for who's going to win and just other goofy trivia about the oscars
0: well thank you at ben's oscars math we appreciate you and it brings to mind the fact that there is somebody else that has multiple nominations. You know, I'm not talking about a director. I'm not talking about a writer. I'm talking about an actress who it joins a very elite group—only the 12th performer to be nominated in two different categories. And we're talking, of course, ScarJo, Scarlett Johansson, nominated as a lead actress in *Marriage Story*, supporting actress in. Jojo Rabbit, two Your films. Movie of the year. Two films that were also nominated for Best Picture. So oh, yeah, yeah, let's yeah. start with Best let's Picture. Let's start with Best Picture. So Best Picture, we'll just do them in alphabetical order. Ford v Ferrari, which well, we both saw.
1: Alphabetically, we would start with. 1917
0: well not exactly because the way that they're doing it here the n comes after m but usually when when the title of a movie starts with like the number, number yeah, numbers it goes at first. the beginning mm-hmm. but they're doing it uh, phonetically i Who's guess they? yeah
1: whose list are you looking at
0: who is they indeed cole <laughs> uh ford v ferrari You and I both saw it, and you said this was, of all these movies, this was one of your favorites, right? Of I've seen so far.
1: So I've got a few more to watch in the next month until Oscars actually air.
0: The Irishman, I've not yet had a a three-and-a-half-hour chunk of time to sit down and watch that. It's on Netflix. Jojo Rabbit, I've seen twice, and I think that's saying something. I've yet to see it. A very divisive film. But I think you will really enjoy it, Cole. A very divisive
1: film, and I'm not sure if you'll enjoy it, comes next next alphabetically, and it's Joker.
0: Right. This is one of those films that really surprised everybody as far as just how many nominations it got. In fact, it has the most nominations of any of these nominated films. Last year, we saw something similar with the film Vice. Vice where it had the most nominations, and it only ended up walking away with Best Makeup. But that was a film that was also very divisive. So I'm predicting, Cole, that this film will walk away with two Oscars. Do you want to know which ones I think it'll win? Makeup? No. Because it's actually nominated, even though the
1: only makeup is Joaquin Phoenix, like pretty much just putting it on himself to be the Joker. It got nominated for that's so. Why didn't they just travesty? So
0: is he nominated for best makeup? Then it's the makeup folks. That doesn't make any sense. It's weird. I don't think
1: it should have been nominated in general. But go ahead. What's your
0: Joker will win for best actor, and it will win for best original score. How much do you want to bet,
1: Cole? Ooh, that's bold. A taco? Yeah, okay. A taco. I don't know if I disagree at all, but I I'm always down to bet because sometimes a, you just need to buy that me a taco I thought though. Cole. should have been nominated for Best Original Score, had way better than Joker, but didn't get nominated and didn't get nominated for anything. It could have been a contender in the Actor category as well. Okay, is a movie about a compulsive gam- gambler. Uncut Gems ah, got totally shut
0: out. Nothing.
1: It would have been a contender in both of those categories, I think, as well as it should have just shown up in Best Picture or a couple others. Yeah. Totally, okay. shout The Sandman. Adam Sandler uh, gave us a fun little tweet along with uh, one of his old co-stars from The Waterboy, Kathy Rob Bates. Rob Schneider? Oh. <laughs> when she got nominated. Okay. He put out on Twitter, you know, it's a sad day. Adam Sandler didn't get nominated, but congrats to all those that did, including, you know, Kathy Mama, Bates, whatever Mama. her name was. Yeah. And yeah. she tweeted back saying you know in character talking to the water boy it was fun fun little twitter now don't wet
0: the bed bobby boucher <laughs> that's probably what she said something anyway uh let's get through the rest of this list and oh, then Williams. we'll talk about yeah. some of the snubs so joker little women your other favorite that you've seen so far i right? did love little women i'm actually hoping to see it this weekend if if all goes well and uh my kids let me i'll go see little women Marriage Story. This is one that you can watch on on Netflix, just like The Irishman. And uh, this wasn't your cup of tea, as I understand, Cole.
1: It's very acty, and it is. Good. I don't know. It just didn't – yeah, it didn't speak to me. All right. It's good. I, I got no problem with it getting nominated.
0: 1917, which the biggest travesty according to Cole is that it wasn't put in the correct order alphabetically. Yes. Okay. Probably
1: good. I haven't yet seen it, but it's still in theaters. I might go see it in IMAX. People say that this is one of those big – it's it's cinematography by Roger Deakins. Yes. knows what he's doing and has a couple Oscar nominations yeah. and wins under his belt.
0: Yeah. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, another—I mean, if Martin Scorsese did his big bloated picture, I guess this would be Quentin Tarantino's. But a lot of people saying this is mature Tarantino, Mm. even though there's still plenty of language and plenty of violence. Yeah,
1: it's a tough year to argue for any of the snubs because, of course, the Academy is going to throw in the Scorsese picture and the Tarantino picture. It's just tough when those two— you know gargantuan figures in the academy in general both put out pictures in the same year then it's tough to sneak anything else in there
0: right and then the last one is is a foreign language film Parasite from Bong Joon-ho. So, so different. It's, it, again, not my cup
1: of tea particularly, but an amazing movie. And um, other other movie people I talk to, if it does speak to you, it really, really does. And so it's tough even to describe what it is. It is very rated art, Like, it's not going to be for kids. But, like, if you're a, a cinema fan... Go ahead and give this a chance. At the very I don't think anyone's hated it. You know, get over <laughs> get over the subtitles, you know, well, and clearly and enough watch people the movie. liked it
0: that it got nominated for best picture. It is very, very good. Yeah. So what's interesting is this is kind of topping a lot of the best of lists for this year. Last year we saw something very similar with Roma. But because it was a Netflix movie and because – I think Roma came out the wrong year. Had it come out this year, it may have won because I think people now are a little more accepting, clearly, of Netflix and Amazon movies being nominated because Netflix had a ton of nominations. That's true. And uh, Roma was considered the best film of last year even though it didn't win the Oscar. And Parasite is kind of being considered the best film of this year, even though because there is a foreign language film category or whatever it's called, uh, it probably won't win.
1: Uh, Parasite was also the South Korea submission into the best international feature film category. It is there alongside Pain and Glory, which has a Best Actor nomination also to its credit with Antonio Banderas. Uh, Puss in Boots. is the French submission that got nominated? Honeyland uh, appears from North Macedonia. It's also in the best documentary. It's a double dip in there too. and then really? a movie called Corpus Christi from Poland is in Polish all and right it is also nominated
0: Well, speaking of best actor, we've got Antonio Benderis. We've got Leonardo DiCaprio from once upon a Time in Hollywood. Adam Driver from Marriage Story. So he's had quite the year with an Oscar nomination and the culminating Star Wars film, Kylo Ren. Joaquin Phoenix, no surprise there, with Joker. And the one that was kind of a dark horse, Jonathan Price, The Two Popes. Did you see that film, Cole? I have, and it's on Netflix. It's
1: just a very slow, similar to Marriage Story, just two people with different views kind of arguing. Only instead of a story about two people getting divorced, it's a story about...
0: Coming together. Two popes coming together. Yeah. And something notable here not only was Jonathan Price kind of the dark horse choice, edging out other people like Christian Bale, whom we would have loved to have seen get nominated for his amazing performance in Ford vs. Ferrari.
1: Also, Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems. Another comedy actor that had a chance, I think, was Eddie Murphy in the Netflix film Dolomite is My Name.
0: Right. But here's what's notable about this Jonathan Price, who's in his 70s has never been nominated for an Academy Award. Can you believe that? He's kind of a mainstay for directors like Terry Gilliam. And, uh, yeah... This British accomplished actor never been nominated. Congratulations he, to him.
1: He really, really also is the splitting image of the Pope that he plays in this movie. Really, like when you look at actual pictures, it's funny. His own son sent him a text after the the new Pope was you know white smoked and and voted in yeah, as Pope, yeah. saying, "Hey, uh, is there something you want to tell me about?" Or like people genuinely thought it was Jonathan Price being that's funny the new
0: pope lead actress Cynthia Erivo I think is how you say her name for Harriet Cynthia Erivo Erivo for mm-hmm. Harriet the only thing I really know her from is bad times at the El Royale Cole oh yeah and now she's Oscar nominated Scarlett Johansson marriage story like we already said Saoirse Ronan for Little Women that was one where I knew from the trailer Cole that she was going to get an Oscar nomination
1: oh and you'll know even more after you watch it it's well deserved
0: Charlize Theron from Bombshell And then the one that is probably the least surprising to anybody, Renee Zellweger as Judy. And you've seen this one. I have. And she is fantastic in it. It certainly is an Oscar-bait film. The film itself is not fantastic. It's clearly just a vehicle for Renee Zellweger and 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 certainly, she drives it certainly deserved, and she could very well win. I'm just gonna say she could very well win that Oscar.
1: Biopics do that sometimes. Uh, I'll tell you. Watching Little Women, I really did enjoy it, and and I loved Saoirse Ronan's performance. Let's go over to Best Supporting Actress because Scarlett Johansson's name shows up again, as we've mentioned for Jojo Rabbit. Florence Pugh gets a nomination for Amy in Little Women. If you know the story of Little she, Women, she's she kind of has a new. Other this is
0: kind of a new career for her. On, she hasn't been around forever.
1: Midsummer earlier this year, not not everyone's cup of tea, for but sure. she's something in that one as well. Heck, Laura Dern gets nominated in Marriage Story. I didn't love her in that one. I loved her in Little Women also. I thought she could have maybe gotten nominated for Little Women. Margot Robbie gets the nomination in Bombshell. I'm hearing things, and after I watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I I hope that I agree that she very well could have gotten nominated for that as well. So... uh, the clump of actresses and then kathy bates as i mentioned Kathy
0: bates is an academy favorite she shows up every few years and she is a fantastic actress from richard jewell there and now what about supporting actor cole well
1: the my favorite and i think who should be the runaway leader in the clubhouse is tom hanks for his turn as mr rogers in a beautiful day in the neighborhood
0: he was so disarming in that role you just watched him on screen In awe, with your jaw dropped, I was thinking to myself, like, "Uh, "Whatever you say, Mister Rogers slash Tom Hanks, I will do it." I, I love you. You know, the type of person that, when he says he loves you, it doesn't sound weird. Do you know what I mean? Like when the type of stranger that could tell you, "I love you," and you would, like, turn that right back around and say, "I love you too." Oh my goodness, so great in the role. Sorry, Cole.
1: Yeah, and then we mentioned the two popes earlier. Uh, Anthony Hopkins is a supporting actor in that one playing the other pope, the older pope, the the going out pope in that. Uh, two nods for the Irishman here in this category with Al Pacino and Joe Pesci from the Irishman. And then Brad Pitt in Tarantino's Once Upon a Time.
0: This category, I mean, it's just chock full of... Veterans, right? And the only one who has not won an Oscar is the one I think is going to win, and it's Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think they're going to give him his due, and he's had a great year too. I really enjoyed his performance in Ad Astra, a film that was pretty much completely overlooked. But uh, I think this is Brad Pitt's year all the way. That's what I think. Oh, yeah. Ad Astra didn't even get
1: love in the uh, technical categories. Not really. It got a mixing nomination.
0: And then director, it? you kind of, you kind of have the the not surprising picks like Martin Scorsese, Quentin Tarantino, and to a degree Sam Mendes, but uh, Bong Joon-ho for Parasite, and Todd Phillips. Wait a minute. Eh. Todd Phillips of The Hangover fame and Todd Phillips of Old School fame.
1: And I think it is kind of cool that Todd Phillips got that nomination. It's just sad that there's only five nominations to be had. And it seems like if Tarantino makes a movie, he's just going to get the nomination. Same thing with Scorsese. And so you do leave out some people that that made uniquely good movies this year and, and that this turn at directing seems like it should have gotten nominated. But then the category just got really full really fast.
0: Well, Cole, anybody that you feel we, – we talked a little bit about it. But anybody else that you feel was snubbed or any other film that you feel was snubbed? I'm looking at the best animated feature. And uh this is I think the first time since like 2014 where there's no Walt Disney Studios animated film. No Frozen 2. <gasps> no Frozen 2. Any other snubs that you I think we're it's both okay. excited it that Okay, I got the
1: original song. And my favorite animated feature just like we were talking last week, Missing Link, is on there. So And I one of my favorites, Klaus
0: about. is on there, another Netflix film.
1: I'm not sure about How to Train Your Dragon 3. I yeah. I didn't love that one and I did really enjoy the Lego Movie Part 2. I thought this right. would be a chance for them to make up for the fact that Lego Movie didn't get any Oscar love. Throw that one in there. But no no egregious snub down there. It, the, the snub that I see is just we saw a lot of the same movie. I saw a ton of movies this year, and a lot of them seemed Oscar worthy. But you talk about Joker getting 11 nominations. You had The Irishman, 1917, and Once Upon a Time all got 10. Yeah. We could have... We could have highlighted some of the other lesser known or indie fare, um, you know, even fitting with oscar kind of movies, right? I'm not asking for Endgame to get 500 nominations. But, like, we could have spread out the love just a little bit more as opposed to being very clumped into those four or five movies.
0: Well, one in the acting category that I should mention a lot of people was overlooked was Lupita Nyong'o for her dual performance in Us. Which is a film I didn't enjoy as much as Jordan Peele's previous offering, Get Out. But there's no denying her performance was fantastic.
1: I would award it as probably my favorite. Uh, Saoirse Ronan was great, so it's it's definitely it's like a top three performance right out of out of an actress in a leading role, but. You watch us, and it's just not an Oscars movie. It's a weird genre flick. It's a social slash comedy slash it horror.
0: Came, came out way back at the beginning of yeah. the year. Too. I mean,
1: so yeah, she had an amazing performance, but I didn't expect it to get an Oscar nomination because I have I have certain expectations for what the Academy votes for, and yeah. her performance just wasn't it. It was fantastic. I loved it. It's not an Oscars thing. That's okay.
0: Well, Cole, speaking of films that come out way early in the year. Are those the types of films that can win Oscars? Nope. Are, there, are there any types of films that come out early on in the year that are even worth seeing? Nope. That's something that, well, Cole, don't give it all away. Oh, sorry. We're going to talk about it. We may surprise you when we return here on Screen Cleaning.
1: Jeff, we're listening to the soundtrack from the biggest January box office performance of all time. This is Avatar.
0: Ah, yes. James Cameron. I remember Avatar. Because, the-
1: you know, it's one of the biggest box office movies ever.
0: Right. So we're talking January movies because, you know, really there are just two main options when you're going to the theater in January. There are the Oscar holdovers which are the films that really only came out at the very, very squeaky end of December so that they could be nominated for Oscars. And even then, probably only, you know, in a few theaters in January is when they all start to come out in wider release.
1: I think there's three categories because there's another category that Avatar or Star Wars or, you know, Jumanji's, those kind of movies, the big blockbuster kind of movies that come out trying to take advantage of all the Christmas money that's to be had with families. Oh yeah. Um those are the that are still just dominating theaters through January. And then there's the movies that actually come out in January.
0: Right. And, and I yeah. well, let's just let's just say that there is a a term that has been coined for these types of movies. Or these types of months, I should say. They're called dump months. Yes. And these are the months of January and February and even to a certain extent August and September. But we're going to focus on January releases.
1: Because it's kind of uh, August and September because it's the end of summer too, right? And the movie calendar has gotten fuller and fuller over the years. Um, Now even the end of summer has a decent amount of movies coming out. You know, even Labor Day weekend last year had one of the biggest Labor Days of all time because that's normally – not a traditional, powerful you know, weekend at the box office, but January, still pretty
0: weak. Right, right. There are some exceptions, though, and so we thought we'd start with the box office of some of these films that came out in January or had a very good January, let's say. But I, I did some digging, Cole, and it looks like the highest grossing film in its opening weekend in January was 2014's Ride Along. With Kevin Hart and Ice Cube. It made $41.5 million. Which, you know, compared to some of the other movies that come out throughout the rest of the year, doesn't seem huge. But that's pretty good for a January film when you look at everything else that comes out in and January. And that'll be the
1: caveat that we put into it. Kevin Hart had a different buddy comedy just last January. It was either January or February when uh, The Upside came out last year. That right? did
0: pretty well, too. You went it, and saw it. and I it, saw it a couple of times.
1: It did okay f- yeah. for the beginning of the
0: year. Now, as far as the highest grossing weekend ever in January, not for a movie that came out in January... That goes to 2015's Star Wars The Force Awakens, which in its third weekend made $90.2 million in January.
1: I was probably 20 or 30 of those dollars. <laughs> oh,
0: I thought you were going to say 20 or 30 millions of those dollars. <laughs> that would be impressive, Cole. No, Why are you I, not I, taking me out to lunch more? I went
1: to see that a few times in theaters, even through January, because The Force Awakens really did capture and, and have that rewatchability that I haven't seen from a Star Wars recently.
0: Right. And then you mentioned, we mentioned the films that – Just barely open up in December so that they can qualify for Oscars, but really they open in January. One of those films that should be noted comes in just under The Force Awakens at $89 million and in its fourth week of release, but really its first week of wide release because prior to that it was only on four screens. Yes, Uh, 2014's American Sniper made $89 million, which is huge for an R-rated film, Cole.
1: And it was nominated because right around this time in January, it had the Oscar nominations come out and it was nominated for Best Picture and, and it hit that wide release and people went to see it and I was 10 of those dollars too.
0: Wow. Okay. You should be spending this money on me, Cole. Let's (laughs) go to lunch or something. So let's talk about some of the films. And I I went back and did a little digging, and I wanted to mention some of the ones that I either enjoyed or that were really popular.
1: And so now we're going to... Put, put the line down at sure. January 1st. You can't include any of the three Lord of the Rings, which always came out in December. Right. You can't include any of the new Star Wars that come out in December or Avatar or, you know, Mission Impossible had a couple December releases as well. Now we're talking about the January movies for January. OK, sake.
0: so this was a film that was very important to me. It's one of those weird films that, as a young kid. You're kind of scared at, but you also really want to watch it. It came in 1990 with the B-horror film Tremors. Came out on January 19th, 1990. Cole, I'm a huge fan of this film because it really it really walks that line well of scary and funny and campy. And has a great cast. I mean, who would have thought that you'd see Reba McIntyre and the dad from Family Ties, Michael Gross, in this B-horror movie about these monsters that are underneath the ground that come up and eat you and they, oh by the way they can't see but they can feel your vibrations right? The idea of the January
1: horror has been uh, implemented to varying success. For example this year we've already got The Grudge come out and it it achieved that very rare F cinema score which means uh, people that went and saw it it, cinema score is one of those things like Rotten Tomatoes and IMDB ratings that kind of try to rank what a movie is but cinema score is very weighted toward the A side of things that's just a guy outside the theater saying hey did you like the movie and most people say yeah it was really good and most movies get A's or A minuses or B pluses The Grudge got an F it was so 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 bad the few people that went to actually see it really really hated it that's a january movie to me but there have been a couple january horrors that do kind of sneak in there and end up good the the best in the final destination Quintuple, the the five final destination movies the second okay. one came out in january it's my favorite it's a very it's a good fun horror and cloverfield PG-13 found footage that kind of spawned the Cloverfield universe that has kind of slowed down after the, the weird paradox one that was on Netflix. But the first one came out in January and I maintain is a pretty pretty decent found footage movie.
0: Okay. I'm going to mention one that you can watch on Disney Plus. And again, as a child, this film, I remember enjoying it. January 18th, 1991, White with Ethan Hawke and a white fang. So it's one that you should check out. I'm considering watching it tonight with my kids. In 1999, when I was in high school, there was a very popular film called She's All That that came out on January 29th. So that was a film that kind of defied the odds, right, Cole? And I don't know, did we ever decide? You ended up going back and watching that, right? She's All That was uh, Rachel... Rachel Lee Cook, Lee Freddie, Cook. Prince yeah, Freddie Prince Paul Jr., Paul Walker. I did go see that. Uh, yeah. Usher was in it.
1: Yeah, that was during our uh, romantic comedies. So almost a year ago I watched that. It was in February around, around Valentine's time. And s-
0: speaking of romantic comedies, if you want to hear what we had to say about romantic comedies, you got to look up that show on our podcast. You can look it up on our archive on byuradio.org. But I digress because in 19, or I'm sorry, in 2002, January 25th, 2002, we got The Count of Monte Cristo. This was during a time when we're getting a lot of these, you know, old classics being put on screen. We're getting, you know, The Musketeer and The Man in the Iron Mask, right? So Yeah, 2002 was a weird time. Right, but this was an enjoyable film that a lot of people went and saw, and even though it really strays from what I've heard, strays way far away from the source material. There's no denying that Jim Caviezel and Luis Guzman and Guy Pierce they were enjoyable in this movie, and it's just a fun time. Talk about
1: putting yourself like back into a, a different time. There was a time when a Green Hornet revival, right, a movie that's based on the old fictional superhero from like, uh-huh. the pulp detective kind of days, that it, it it is worth mentioning. I don't okay. think it's a good
0: movie. Seth Seth Rogen? Right. And
1: and it was kind of a I mean it was a comedy, but it it didn't really know what it was doing. The Green Hornet deserves mention because hmm. as you look down through the the highest grossing movie in the month of January in the past 20 years, it is always just one of those December holdovers except for 2011 when Maybe just nothing really exciting came out at the end of 2010, but The Green Hornet was the highest grossing movie in the month of January in 2011, as opposed to all of those other years where the January movies get overlooked. The Green Hornet was a January movie that made a lot of money because apparently all of those old people wanted to see The Green Hornet on screen again and had to have been disappointed it wasn't great i saw it on television i think um <laughs> jeff have you seen the green Hornets?
0: i have not right so, i have not but i have seen this uh, next film that will make you groan a little bit but maybe it's because you haven't seen it and appreciated the total surprise that came on january 16th 2009 is this paul, with blart- paul blart mall cop, mall cop. This is a film That seems like a January movie to me. But you know what? It did extremely well. It was made for let's see, here, 26 million, made 183 million. million. So people saw this movie, they enjoyed it so much so that there was a sequel that came out, which I did not see and we won't talk about. But Paul Blart Mall Cop Cuz you have a hard
1: enough time defending the first one. Cole,
0: if you I do haven't not seen have the a second. hard time. Granted, you might have to be in the right mood to watch this film, but if you are looking for a film that you can just turn your brain off and just enjoy the dumb humor that you find in Paul Blart Mall Cop, watch it. I will. Enjoy it. One of these days As James Lipton would say, it is a delight.
1: Anyway, the the other question that kind of gets raised with January movies is why do they come out in January? Right. The December holdovers make sense. Some of the dumping ground where the studios made these and they don't believe in them. So they just have to release them. And that makes sense. Um, Also, when a movie comes from a foreign country and comes over to the U.S. for the first time in January, that also makes sense. And that is the case in probably my two actual favorite movies, and that is the two Paddington's. That were released in America in January and they do not deserve the moniker of January. Movies. OK,
0: listener, this is how, you know, you've stumbled upon an amazing film pick because Cole, independent of me, mentioned both Paddington and Paddington, too both of which were on my list for January films. As they should. These are fantastic, delightful films that are as perfect as you can get for a family film. And if you don't believe me, look at Paddington 2's Rotten Tomatoes score of 100%. These are films that, yeah, came out earlier in the UK. They didn't really know how to market or didn't even bother marketing here in the U.S., so they just kind of let them loose and... Well, you know, we enjoyed them over here in the UK and they made a lot of money in the UK, but we don't we don't want to bother in the United States. And they really should have because more people should have seen these films and I I would not complain if they made a third film based on how well Received Paddington Two was, and it's even better than the first one.
1: These seem to these just do not belong in the January conversation, and it's just so weird that the studios, especially after Paddington, the first's uh, warm reception, right? It it wasn't a box office boom, but it's because it just kind of slid in here after it was so well received by critics. It seemed like when there was a second one, the studios should have. Done something to get North American audiences excited for Paddington 2, and they just didn't again. And they just let it show up in January, and no one saw it in theaters. And it, you should, you just go find it wherever you can and Absolutely. watch these beautiful movies.
0: Another type of movie that would come out in January is you know, what if you do what if you make the marketing choice to put a movie out in January because you know that people, if you put out a good movie, people are going to pay it, and there's virtually no competition.
1: Yeah, or sometimes it was a movie where they didn't have a lot of confidence in it the first time, but then they'll try to replicate that success again. In 2017, M. Night Shyamalan made what people thought was just going to be another middle-of-the-road January horror that comes out every so often, but Split made a ton of money as a surprising sequel to Unbreakable, and so when they were coming out with Glass, they sent it out in January as well. Not as good of a movie, and so not as much success, even though I liked it more. And then there's our friend Liam Neeson, who surprised people with Taken, and so studios started to try to find that Taken money again. Got to the point where he kind of started to own January the same way Will Smith would own...
0: Independence Day. Not sure he won you know that <laughs> you should be proud of that. It's a lesser moniker, the King of January. Yeah, but
1: but the gray coming out also, like it's I
0: actually enjoyed the gray.
1: Taken with wolves. Cole, did you know
0: that these films came out in January as well?
1: Go ahead. Rapid fire me.
0: Doctor Strange Love or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Now, granted, this may have been way back before this idea of the dump months came yes. about. But then that doesn't uh, count. January thirtieth, nineteen ninety one, the Silence of the Lambs doesn't count. Uh, why not? It was it, a Best Picture winner,
1: right? But before we've got to like we've got to put a, a line somewhere that our current calendar of movies kind of was established somewhere in the mid to late nineties, where studios got the idea of when to release what. However, um, and before that, if it was a January movie, maybe it was good.
0: But it, however, that is the earliest. Uh, best Picture winner in terms of its release date, earliest in the calendar year.
1: That's fair. All right. So
0: there is that, Cole. It's worth saying. And then uh, this is a little bit of a cheat, but January 23rd uh, at Sundance, Get Out was released, and then it came out in February.
1: Oh, yeah. Also, a thing to do in January once you've caught up on all of last year's Best Pictures, that's when Sundance happens here in Utah. You can go up and check out because there are quite a few that premiere there. It's just something else movie-wise to do in January.
0: So plenty of examples of bad movies that come out in January, sure. But hopefully we've given you plenty of examples of films that have come out during January and might actually be worth your time. Right, Cole? Yes. And when we come back, we're not going to share with you a January film, but since it is Martin Luther King Jr. weekend or since Monday is the holiday, we wanted to share a pick with you that you might want to check out this weekend in observance of this uh, special holiday. That's up next on Screen Cleaning.
1: I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you are looking for a ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have... ...are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you.
0: There's good in them dire hills! As we do with each and every episode of Screen Cleaning, we do a little panning for good, which means we dig a little deeper to find that nuggety goodness of... Cinematic uh, greatness, yeah. The the movies that other people just
1: aren't talking about right now. But as we talk about January movies, there's there's also a holiday here in January, and it's Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and it's coming up this weekend,
0: right? And this is a film that certainly people talked about when it came out. It was nominated for Best Picture in
1: the same year that American Sniper was,
0: but right, I think it was it was just as talked about for all of the snubs, all of the Oscar snubs, right? And it's a film that we want to highlight here again today because it is one of the better biopic films that I have seen. And really what I like about this film, Selma, which does highlight this chapter in Martin Luther King Jr.'s life, um, is that it doesn't paint him as an absolute saint. Uh, Anybody – nowadays it seems like everybody's got some skeletons in their closets and – I. Certainly, there are things that I'm sure Martin Luther King Jr. would not be proud of in his life, and they spend some time with that in the film. However, it doesn't change the fact that this man, and really anybody uh, that accomplishes great things, accomplished something amazing, and the impact is still felt today. And we're still learning, and we're still learning to accept and there is certainly a long way to go, but I I can appreciate the fact that this film doesn't sugarcoat things. And it doesn't portray him to be this uh, can-do-no-wrong, absolute saint. But you know what? He had some obstacles. He overcame a lot of them. And it's important to revisit films like this because the people at the heart of these films and in this case Martin Luther King Jr have had such a tremendous impact that we need to talk about with our with each other and with our kids so that they can know how we should act going forward right? turns out Gold?
1: real people are complicated they right. aren't just made for the screen to to serve the plot or whatever and when you try to portray a real person in a real light it can come out complicated and that's okay not every movie has to have a perfect structure or have to has to have a perfect hero's arc movies can serve all kinds of different Purposes, And so if you're looking for something else to watch this January, we do recommend Selma to to do something different that you might not get from any other movie.
0: Well, we hope it's a a fabulous long weekend for you and that uh, you can do something with your families to talk about Martin Luther King Jr., but also that you might have some time to go to the movies. Why not? right, Cole? That's, that's what we do. There's, I'll be at the movies. Oh, good. There are a lot of dump movies out there, but there are a lot of good ones, too. And with the little help that we've provided today, hopefully you can find the one that'll tickle your fancy. Until next week, I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wissinger. And this is Screen Cleaning.